I'm Ryan Krofchek. Welcome to the Opera House Story Sessions, the podcast that brings you the histories and the folklore of the people who've carried and continue to carry the music born out of these hills and hollers. This is our first episode, and we're kicking things off with Richard Hefner, the Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys, West Virginia's longest-running bluegrass band. We'll hear stories about the old high rocks honky-tonk, playing with the father of bluegrass, Bill Monroe, and hearing him play a few tunes from his early days. And here's one of my grandma taught me how to play on the banjo, and I'm going to kick it off of nears away. She taught me how as I can. Some folks can remember their first exposure to music. For Richard, the homestead in Mill Point was always brimming with music, family members, and friends. Like most households in the 1950s, multiple generations were living under one roof. His uncle, Glenn Irvin, also known as Uncle Dude, was diagnosed with polio early on in his life before the vaccine. This disease had no effect on his abilities to play music. He stayed with us most of the time when I was growing up, and... uh... A lot I learned was uh, going to the beer joints when I was too young to go. But I went and uh, would uh, d- just to listen to them guys play music. And most of it was the old High Rocks beer joint up on uh, Stomping Creek there. And Uncle Dude would go up there and sit and play. And he was in a wheelchair. Somebody would come down to the house and pick him up. And so they'd carry him out and put him in the car and take him to the beer joint and carry him in. They'd set him a chair up, and he'd sit in a chair and, and play music. And they'd play for tips. He'd put his mandolin or his guitar case. He could play, he played mostly mandolin and guitar and was really, really good on both of them. And he'd sit there and open up his mandolin case and people would throw money in there. And they were really good to do. They'd haul him around and they'd play music. And uh, But Uncle Dude didn't just play the mandolin. He also played the banjo. And he had a uh, a four-string banjo, a tenor, and he kept it most of the time up at the beer joint. Every now and then he'd get it out up there and play it. And uh, ended up, that's the banjo that I learned how to play on. And Uncle Dude would take it whenever I started getting uh, interest in it. And he would tune that banjo up, that tenor, up into five-string tuning because it only had four strings on it. And... Uh, that's what I learned on. I've still got it. I got it hanging up on my living room wall down in, in here. But that's one reason that I got a kind of a weird role. I played, I learned a two-finger style. That's kind of what Uncle Dude played. Yeah, I just sat around and watched, you know. I learned on that tenor banjo at four strings. So I learned that way. And now, to this day, I, I still can't play a good forward roll. And that's the, that's the roll, that's the scrub roll, that's what you use, you know, it's thumb index middle, thumb index middle, thumb index middle, hold on. And I can't do that, I can do it one time, 
I mean, if I concentrate, I could do it, but I play forward roll, thumb, backward roll, and that's kind of what I play. And I think I, uh, I, I blame that, I guess, is on doing that just a finger and a thumb. So I lead a lot with my finger right there instead of leading a lot with my thumb. So remember, in the early 50s, you couldn't just turn on Netflix or surf the internet to pass time. Well, actually, there's still places in Pocahontas County you can't do that. Anyways, point being is, you had to really create your own entertainment. And having a big family around meant there was always a crowd to play for or someone to pick with. There was nine kids, uh, siblings on mom's side of the family. Two girls and seven boys. What was her name? Elsie. Elsie Irvin. And uh, her sister was Evelyn, and uh, Evelyn was the oldest one of the bunch. And uh, they sang together all the time. They couldn't wait to go to the over here to the pool room when it was in town to get the newest hit parade magazine and get the latest words to all the songs, you know. And- Most popular for publishing the song lyrics, Hit Parader Magazine was one of the first American music magazines. They really could, God, they could sing good together. They did those McGuire sisters and Andrew sister songs. And- he was a famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had a boogie style that no one else could play. He was a top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. Of course, Uncle Dude stayed with us, and he was a really good guitar player. He played by ear and could play all those songs. He just, he knew all the diminished chords, and, you know, and he was just, he just had it. He just knew how to do it somehow. I don't know how he, he's just a natural some way. And he drew all these pickers around, and they'd hook up the guitars, and they'd play until, you know, daylight, play all night long. And, Whitey Darty and Nathan Walker, two black guys, they came and they played blues and they play all night long. And it was just some of the best stuff you ever heard, you know, and I didn't play anything. My like woman done love me, I got these love changing blues. Play it now. I can play it later. Richard and his brother Billy finally caught the buck. N- no, not COVID. Uh, it was time for these boys to, to join in on some of the picking parties that were happening at the house. And Dad got me and Billy both a, a guitar, and I think I was 12, maybe. And Billy was about 14. But more on Billy later. Two Harmony Arch Tops for Christmas. Those two Harmony Arch Top guitars, probably mail-ordered out of a Sears catalog, they were the working man's guitar. And I, at the time, I was into... Johnny B. Good and uh, Chuck Rock. Berry and yeah, Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley and and Fats Domino, man. How's it? Goodbye, although I'll cry. Ain't that a shame? How's it? I loved and still love all that stuff, and I could play that stuff a little bit. But uh, yeah, there was music around the house all the time. While Richard would eventually trade in his six-string guitar for a five-string banjo, his brother Billy would later become a master luthier, multi-instrumentalist, known for his craftsmanship and building guitars. Billy was also a founding member of the Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys, where he played mandolin on the first couple records. So Richard and I went on to talk about another influence, the Hammonds family. Now, the Hammondses have been in Pocahontas County a long, long time. 
They were one of the first people to settle here along the Williams River and one of the last people to adopt the modern style of living. For generations, they were known as the best musicians around, and they have passed down that style and the sound of these mountains. But Richard's friend, James Hammonds, he was known locally as a blues player. The first Hammonds that I was ever really around was James Hammonds, who's not mentioned a lot in the Hammonds family music circle, but he was a really good blues guitar player, you know, and I, I think I, I think some of that soaked into me a little bit, that blues, you know. And he'd take a guitar and tune it up into open G or open E. And, and my love don't change, it's gonna be some riding down. So we're back at the beer joints, where Richard would hang out and listen to musicians like his Uncle Dude and James Hammonds play guitar. He'd get that thing and he'd play just a little bit and he'd say, oh, my old fingers are hurting so bad I just I don't I can't hardly do it you know and uh say James would you think a beer would help well yes I think that might help and you know and then he was on and once he got a beer he was and he could really play he could play the blues really good my woman done love me I got these love changing blues between hanging out at the local dive bars and picking parties held at the house in Mill Point Richard really didn't have to go far to hear or play music. At this time in the early 1970s, bluegrass festivals really started popping up everywhere. He was out playing these festivals around the region when he wasn't driving heavy machinery or crushing rocks for the hot mix plant. Uh, we worked 65, 70, 75 hours a week around the hot mix plant and rock crushers, and it was really hard to get off much, but I finally worked up uh, to where that I could I could get off and go at times. His best buddy and bandmate, Harley Carpenter, was known throughout as the Elvis of bluegrass. His tall stature, slick back, greased up hair, and bare tone voice was often the talk of the town. And that talk eventually made its way out of the little town of Mill Point to the father of bluegrass, Bill Monroe. Oh, the people would come from far away Harley went to this festival and he wanted me to go and I said, Harley, I can't go. We've been taking off and going to these festivals playing and stuff on Saturdays and I just I need to stay here and work so I didn't go. And like every other work day, Richard went to work at the dry and dusty hot mix plant. He would operate his giant earth moving machine known as the front end loader. Richard, also known as Handlebar on the C B radio, got a call from Harley. Bill Monroe's banjo player just quit. And Bill wants Richard to come down to play with him at the Monroe Homestead in Rosine, Kentucky. Phone rang. I had a CB radio in my end loader, and the, and, uh, the guy opted at the phone at Scale House said, uh, "Handlebar." That was my that was my CB name on there. So I went out and parked my loader and went in. It was Harley, and he was he said, "Bill Monroe's banjo player quit him. He wants you to." come down here and play with him this weekend. Okay, so let me just say, this is a big deal. This is the chance of a lifetime. The the make or break moment for Richard and Harley. And I said, man, it's it's six hour drive probably out there, Harley. And he said, now come on. He said, he he really wants you to play. He said, chance of a lifetime. This is the father of bluegrass asking Richard to come play at the old home place. I said, well, I don't know. This is like a bluegrass pilgrimage. I'll probably come. I'll think about it. So I went back out and 
motion for my buddy on one of the other inlaters. And I said, Harley wants me to come down and play with Bill Monroe this weekend. And he wants me to come. And he said, you're going to go, aren't you? And, and I said, I don't know. And he said, he said, let's park these inloaders and go, man. So we went, we parked them inloaders and uh, went there and took a shower and jumped in my old car and played with Bill Monroe that weekend. So I asked him what it was like to play with Bill Monroe. Did he have a rehearsal or even a set list? We didn't practice, didn't do anything. I wished I'd have known or knew then what I know now that, that when you played with Bill Monroe, you had to know his stuff. You had to know all his tunes and the keys they were played in and everything. And of course, I'd only been playing about four years. That was in 73. And um, we didn't practice, didn't do anything, didn't even actually even tune up together. And the, the stage had about eight or ten steps and had a little old, about a four by four square out back to where you went in the back door. Bill was standing up on that thing, chomping on his mandolin. And I walked up there and I said, Bill, what, what songs are you going to play? And he said, I'll do tunes you know. And that's all he said. And uh, we went out on stage and, uh, and I asked those guys, uh, what are we, what are we going to start off in? And he said, I think we'll do, uh, I'm on my way back to the old home. We've been opening up with that a lot. And we're here at Rosine, so I think that's what we'll start off with. And so we go out and Bill hit his mainland and he said, we'll do one that made me famous on the Grand Ole Opry. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that one. It was, oh, it was a different, <laughs> it was a different song. And, and it was that way the whole, the whole set. And, and I learned after that first set what to listen to the rest of the weekend. And he would, as soon as he finished one song, he would hit his mandolin two or three times. And that's the key the next song was going to be in. And he didn't tell you what the song was, but you knew what key to get in and get ready anyway. So we loaded up and, and got to ride on Bill's bus over from the festival over, over to the, the Monroe family cemetery right across the road from the festival. It was the unveiling of the Uncle Penn Memorial. James Pendleton Van Dever, also known as Uncle Penn, inspired a young Bill Monroe, a lot like Uncle Dude inspired Richard. In fact, Bill Monroe lived with his crippled uncle. Both of Bill's parents died before he turned 16, and after that he would move in with his Uncle Penn so that he could help take care of him. So Uncle Penn was thrown from a mule at the early age and had to use crutches to get around. But that didn't really stop him from playing local square dances and earning them the reputation as one of the best fiddlers in Kentucky. On September 13th, 1973, a monument in honor of Uncle Penn was unveiled by Monroe at the Rosine Cemetery. Oh, the people would come from far away the dance all night till the break of day when the caller hollered, do si do you knew Uncle Penn was ready to go. It was really, really touching. We walked over and stood on his grave, took our cowboy hats on, laid our hats around the bottom of the memorial there, and we sang Uncle Penn. Like Uncle Penn was to Bill Monroe, Uncle Dude was to Richard, the inspiration for it all. He played an old piece called Soldier Joy and money called Boston Boy. The greatest of all was Jenny Lynn. To me, that's where feeling begin. Late in the evening, about sundown, on the hill above the town. 
ring, you could hear it talk, you could hear it sing. Now, it wasn't long after Richard and Harley played with Bill Monroe that Uncle Dude sadly passed away from his long battle with polio. The Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys went on to record half a dozen records. Uncle Dude played on the first album, which was recorded to an 8-track, and he played with the band until about 1973. The founding members of the Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys were Richard Hefner, Bill Hefner, Uncle Dude, Harley Carpenter, and Dwight Dillard. Since the original lineup, they've always stayed true that high lonesome bluegrass sound, where Richard and his family have been in Pocahontas County for several generations. Until uh, Dad's asthma got us to move to Arizona for a short time in 58, 59. We moved out there because of Dad's asthma. And he gave up the store. I don't know that anybody wanted to leave, really, but uh, Dad had been out to Arizona a couple, on a couple trips, and Mom, and and uh, and I went, I went on a trip with him before we moved out there. Dad bought a brand new, this is '59. Dad brought a, a brand new '59 Pontiac Bonneville four door, big car, and we we took off, and uh, and he got a job. He transferred with the post office department, and we moved to Scottsdale. Uh, I didn't really hate it, but it sure the hell wasn't Mill Point. You know, <laughs> it was like 5,000 kids in the top four grades of school or something, you know. And I told Mom, I said, I'm mowing grass, I'm washing windows. As soon as I get money for a bus ticket, I'm going back and staying with Grandma. But I decided by the end of summer that I was going to tough it out for them, you know. I was going to stay, and one day Dad come in and he backed it. We had a 56 Ford truck, or he did, and he backed that thing right up over the sidewalk and backed it up to the front door and he said, load your damn stuff up. We're moving back to West Virginia. And I'll never forget the feeling when we come across that state line down to Huntington there, man, it was like, yes. Yeah. Home. Yeah. This has been an Opera House Story Session. This podcast is produced by me, Ryan Krofcheck, and Emily Chen Newton of Figure Podcast. Huge thanks to Richard Hefner for sharing his songs and his stories, and Bryn Cusick, as well as the entire Opera House Foundation for their guidance on this series, which is funded in part by the West Virginia Humanities Council, the Snowshoe Foundation, West Virginia Department of Arts, Culture, and History, and by listeners and supporters like you. If you've enjoyed the Opera House Story Sessions, check out more episodes on our website at pocahontasoperahouse.org. And this episode features music from Lester Flats and Earl Scruggs, the Andrews Sisters, Bill Monroe and his Bluegrass Boys, Fats Domino, Blind Willie McTell, Richard Hefner, and the Black Mountain Bluegrass Boys. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it, brother. <laughs>